0: Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schauger. Today on 30 Minutes, we're going to feature remarks made at a November 2017 event entitled Tucson Makers, presented by AIGA Arizona. Throughout today's program, we'll hear from three speakers who describe how their creative work is intertwined with catalyzing change. AIGA board member and graphic designer Julie Ray began the evening with an overview of AIGA and the Tucson Makers event. KXCI Executive Director Kathy Rivers was the MC and introduced the first speaker, Melanie Mele Martinez, who was a lecturer in the UA writing program and director of Tucson Flamenco Studio.
1: Welcome to our Tucson Makers event. This is the sixth year that we're doing this, and the purpose is to gather our community together. It's also a fundraiser for AIGA Arizona. What is AIGA Arizona? Well, we are a statewide chapter of a national organization, which is the Professional Association for Design. We are one of over 70 chapters and 25,000 members across the country. And what we do is we advance design as a professional craft, strategic advantage, and vital cultural force. So tonight's event has a special relevance for me. I was an activist in high school and college, and I began my career doing programming and fundraising for educational nonprofits. Something was missing, though, and it was art and design. And it wasn't until I was able to bring that into my professional life and combine that with doing good that I felt truly fulfilled. And I'm really excited for all of you to hear from our speakers tonight who have all found a sense of purpose through creativity and art and doing good. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this evening. We have um, special thanks to Technicians for Sustainability and SunPower. Yay! We do a lot for our community. Also, Originate, Natural Building Materials, KXCI, (laughs) 91.3 FM, KXCI, and Zocalo Magazine. And also, special thanks to our host, Borderlands Brewing Company. So now it's, oh, and also I want to acknowledge our committee that has worked so hard, our Tucson board and committee. And those folks are Jessica Dennis, Joel Harris, Eleanor Rowe, Omar Rodriguez, and Claire Seizovic. Yeah. So as you all know, it's a lot of work to put these events on. Okay. So it's my pleasure now to introduce Kathy Rivers. You probably know Kathy uh, by hearing her voice on KXCI and she is the executive director, but there's probably more that you don't know. Um, She is a veteran of radio, television, and music, and she has appeared all over the airways. On the FM dials, she's done commercials for clients such as Jeopardy and JW Marriott. She also has three records under her belt. Yeah, so I don't think we're gonna hear any songs from her tonight, maybe. Um, So I am going to bring on Kathy, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really
2: happy to be here tonight, and uh, I'm going to tell a quick story that I wasn't planning on telling, but uh, since we mentioned technicians for sustainability, I told the story already once a little bit earlier. So I was at KXCI, and I was doing probably budgeting paperwork. And uh, all of a sudden, this young woman walked in. She happens to be here today. Her name's Sandra. And she walks in, and she goes, well, there's something I want to do, and I don't know if I can do it. I don't really know how to do it, but what I'd really like to do is that nobody's putting it out there to get help for the people of Puerto Rico or the Virgin Islands after the hurricanes, and I want to do something. And I swear, it was like the angels were like, Whoa, And I just stood up and I was like, we can do this. This is what we can do. We can do this. And together we wrote a PSA. We recorded the PSA in English and Spanish. It's out on the internet. And what a beautiful thing for a young woman to, on her lunch break, come to KXCI and say, what can I do? And that's why we're here today. And that's an amazing thing. (laughs) Yay, Sandra. She's in the room. I have a feeling she will be a force to be reckoned with in the future. We're first gonna start with Melanie Mel Martinez. Uh, Melanie Mel Martinez is a teacher, a writer, a mother, and flamenca from Tucson, Arizona. An original member of the American Flamenco Repertory Company, she studied at the National Institute of Flamenco and became a soloist for the company and a manager of the Conservatory of Flamenco Arts. In 2009, Mel, along with her husband and flamenco artist Jason Martinez, opened the Tucson Flamenco Studio and co-founded the Tucson Flamenco Festival and the largest flamenco event in the state of Arizona pretty awesome. (laughs) Mel received the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona's New Works Grant and the Arizona Commission on the Arts Research and Development Grant for her solo project *Lose* in 2015. Today Mel is a lecturer in the writing program at the University of Arizona and continues to perform and teach flamenco for Tucson audiences. She is at work on a memoir entitled The Molino. Welcome Mel.
3: Thank you, thank you AIJ for having me here. This is a really amazing group of people and I'm very honored to be um, ready to go first so I can be done and listen to everybody else. (laughs) So I'm gonna talk to you today about um, flamenco as a cultural art form that uh, allows for social change. When I was three years old, my mom put me in dance classes and I remember learning the day of the week because Monday was the day I got to go to dance class. I remember being able to put on my leotard and my ballet shoes and my um, leg warmers even if it was 100 degrees outside. It was just my favorite day of the week. It It was my calling even when I was just three years old. Over the last um, 37 years, I've been dancing still. Um, Now I do flamenco. I started flamenco when I was about 15 years old and I got to study with some of the most um, incredible flamenco artists in the world. Uh, I was a soloist for the American Flamenco Repertory Company and I even got to participate in the organization of flamenco festivals, not just here in Tucson, but throughout the country. Essentially, when I was about 20 years old, I earned a new name. My name, my birth name is Melanie, but I earned a new name in the flamenco community, um, and that name was Mele. And so that's kind of my new identity now as a flamenco. I met my husband, Jason Martinez, through flamenco, and uh, when we got married, um, I was in the flamenco repertory company at that time. We were both together, and we weren't really sure if having a family was going to be something that was going to work for us. Um, I didn't have any examples, really, of really good uh, artists who were also parents, at least not from my family. Even though that was an example that was really clear in in the flamenco community, I wasn't really sure if I could do it. In 2013... uh, I decided to embark on the biggest flamenco project that I had ever done, and it was actually after having two children. So um, while I was in the flamenco company, Jason and I had our first, Lola, and eight years later, we had Gloria. And it was right after having Gloria that I had this idea to do a flamenco project about motherhood. Um, Many of my flamenco friends and artist friends in general um, Family members for sure told me this is not the right time to do The Biggest Flamenco project of your life when you're uh, nursing and <laughs> have a, a baby with no time for sleep. Um, but it really was a, an important time for me. It really was the only time in my life since childhood that I felt called to create. Luz got to tour uh, in 2015 throughout Arizona and California and New Mexico. It was a huge project for me. It was. Very, very difficult to obviously hold down a full-time job and be a mom and do flamenco. Um, And in that process, I decided to start blogging on my website. So on the blog, I actually started to think about some of these important issues about motherhood and artistry. And one of the quotes that I had read during that time during my research and development of the program was a quote by Jacobo Urist, who's a visual artist, and she says, there's a group of rising artists who strongly reject the all-or-nothing children versus art premise. Motherhood, they argue, has increased the complexity of their work and intensified their perspectives, whether or not their subject matter is domestic life. And they believe that the art world is slowly warming to the idea that great artists can also be great mothers. Um, I really took that quote to heart, and that was kind of the focus of my whole project. As I was doing uh, the blog, many of my readers were also flamenco artists. Some of them um, were just artists, some of them were just in the community, and some of the blog posts that they actually connected with the most or the ones that struck a vein were actually about uh, body issues, especially pre and post um, pregnancy and how that kind of fits in with the life of a dancer. And that was really one of the hardest things for me to write about. Um, Body issues is something I've struggled with since childhood and that turned out to be one of the things from this project that really resonated with people. I'm fortunate to participate in an art form that really highly values women and not just women, but matriarchs um, from generation to generation. Flamenco is, is one of those rare dance art forms that not only uh, showcases mothers, but celebrates them in almost every flamenco performance you see. You'll see some kind of a showcase of women who are actually um, mothers and how important they are to the community. I just want to give a little background on flamenco. Flamenco was actually created by the gypsies of Andalusia, and um, that's a multi-ethnic group that really did suffer a lot of uh, oppression in southern, uh, southern Spain. Embedded in the creation of flamenco was this fight against oppression. So it started off as an idea against oppression. Um, Flamenco is also about communities and relationship, um, and the traditional structure of flamenco really does showcase how uh, different people need to communicate with each other verbally and non-verbally. And one of the amazing parts of it is that there's multiple people on the stage, musicians, percussionists, uh, singers, and dancers, and they're all communicating at the same time. One of the amazing parts about that concept is that usually the people who are on stage are in community with each other. They're neighbors, they are family members, and that's the way flamenco is traditionally done. Um, I think this is a perfect vehicle for social change um, because it forces us to consider each other in different ways. It forces us to look at um, the way that we express each other in very, very personal ways on stage. And um, many flamenco artists today, now in, in more modern uh, flamenco choreographies, are really speaking into this concept of social change because of the, the capacity for flamenco to have people communicate with each other. So um, I just want to say again thank you to um, AIGA for having me here. And uh, if you have any questions, if you want to see a video, um, you can certainly check out my website. And uh, yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Salud. You are listening to Remarks Made at a November 2017 event entitled Tucson Makers presented by AIGA Arizona on 30 minutes 91.3 KXCI Tucson. That was Melanie Mele Martinez, who is a lecturer in the UA writing program and director of Tucson Flamenco Studio. Up next KXCI executive director and event MC Kathy Rivers will introduce Kylie Walzak.
2: Okay, I promise I'm not gonna talk about KXCI every time that I come up here. <laughs> but I do have to I have to mention it uh uh, this next time. Uh, Kylie Walzak uh, is lead program manager at Living Streets Alliance. Kylie grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, but it was studying and living abroad in Latin America and in college uh, and in West Africa after college in the Peace Corps that ignited her passion and interest in societies where cars were less prevalent and social interactions on streets and in public spaces was the norm. Uh, Kylie organizes two Cyclovia events per year that brings tens of thousands of people together in different parts of town outside of their cars. Kylie also is a group of a cooperative people who put on a show called Pedaling the Pueblo, which is really a fantastic program. And again, another example of people coming together because they want to create, they want to put word out there. And I've heard some incredible things uh, on Pedaling the Pueblo about learning uh, what it's like if you're going to start biking to the work for the first time, and what do you do about your clothing, you know, if you need to dress nice for your work, how do you handle that safe bike paths, things like that. So another wonderful thing uh, that Kylie does as well. So let's put our hands together for Kylie Walsack. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks
4: everybody for uh, for having us here. I feel really. Uh one of these things is not like the other, that's what I feel like. Uh, first of all, I'm not an artist, and I'm not a designer, but I rely on all you people who are to make us look good, and I'm gonna talk a little bit um, about that tonight, But. Yes, my name is Kylie Walzak and I work for a nonprofit organization called Living Streets Alliance and a lot of people don't actually realize that there is a nonprofit organization that is behind putting on Cyclovia Tucson twice a year. Um, Also in the house, we have great friends and supporters of that event, Technicians for Sustainability. Thank you guys and also Originate. Thank you for being friends of of Living Streets Alliance in this event and Borderlands. Thank you. Yes, of of course, Borderlands. So I'll just start telling you a little bit about myself. Um, I kind of didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about my backstory because I don't know if another white, relatively privileged, comfortable youth story growing up is what everybody is here to to hear. But um, I definitely did have some experiences that stand out being raised by a single mom who fought really hard to raise two kids by herself and go to law school. Um, definitely shaped my vision of the world. I also grew up in um, northern Arizona, in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I went to a high school where uh, the Navajo reservation kids were bussed over, so we shared that space with them. And I was always really influenced by the power of design and images to raise awareness for social and environmental justice issues, to um, put a face to um, the invisible costs of you know, the effects of displacement, of mining, of all kinds of environmental destruction issues that are happening up in Northern Arizona. Uh, in college is where things start to get really interesting, like Julie, I, and also like Mele, so I went to, I traveled in Latin America, got really interested in issues like um, the Zapatistas and, chi, and um, Chiapas, and then also I lived in Andalusia, am and facing the Alhambra for six months, and. You know, everywhere I went, I always found myself um, hanging out with and spending the most time with those groups that seemed to be at the bottom rung of society and learning from them and watching how they um, formed community. So then I went and joined the Peace Corps, and I remember at my graduation party at my house in Flagstaff, my stepfather saying, she doesn't have a capitalist bone in her body. She's going (laughs) to join the Peace Corps. So that was my send-off to West Africa, and there's a lot of returned Peace Corps volunteers here in Tucson. Um, I think that's what brings a lot of us here, actually, is is that that we have that in common with a lot of folks. What I saw was a lot of people living in communities in, um, you know, not, not Western society where people had these very vibrant, very public open spaces where they interacted with each other and where they had to be vulnerable and where they had to rely on their community to help lift them up. So in thinking about telling a little bit of my story about how this connects me to my work now with Living Streets Alliance, I hadn't really thought about those connections until I heard an interview on NPR recently with Sebastian Younger. He wrote the book um, The Perfect Storm, which became that movie with George Clooney, and he has a new book out, and it's called Tribe, and his thesis is that um, one of the explanations for why soldiers experience PTSD, certainly not the only explanation, but one of the major explanations is that when they come back to Western society, they miss being shoulder-to-shoulder um, with their platoon and relying on them for everything and having to feel vulnerable with them, it's um, you know not it's it's not so much the war that they miss, but it's that camaraderie and that closeness. And think early on in the book, Sebastian Younger writes: the question for Western society isn't why tribal life might be so appealing; it seems obvious on the face of it. But by, but why Western society is so unappealing? And Sebastian Younger is actually one of the few writers who I've ever heard make this um, connection between what soldiers experience and what Peace Corps volunteers experience coming back to the United States. I didn't know this was happening to me at the time, but when I came back, I went into a really deep depression that lasted for a couple of years. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I was, I was, I was not doing anything productive, I was living at home. I couldn't find the motivation to move forward with my life and I, I couldn't find a single thing to be happy about living back in the United States for. It felt to me like all of our priorities were upside down, I couldn't find my footing. I finally got it together enough to fill out the graduate school application and came here to go to graduate school and that's where I felt like I finally started to find my tribe. When I first got here, I attended events like the All Souls Procession, Tucson Meet Yourself, and then later on became really involved in organizing Noche en Blanco, and now, of course, Cyclovia Tucson. And I think what all of those events have in common is that it's a bunch of people working really hard and raising a lot of money to be able to reclaim public space, to recreate that sense of community, that community-strengthening activity that you see that you take for granted if you're a part of a close-knit tribe in other parts of the world. That's what brought me here, that's what keeps me here, and that's what ultimately led me on my path to help found Living Streets Alliance and to help create Cyclovia Tucson. So and I promise I'm not going to tell you all about how you're supposed to be riding bikes everywhere in Tucson because, and I do think that at the beginning, a lot of our work was um, slightly arrogant and slightly self-righteous because we were those people who had made the commitment to get around by bike. But I think that what we came up against is that we have some deeply embedded stereotypes and a lot of environmental barriers out there that keep us from engaging in this kind of transportation that for us has been like this lifeline. It connects me to my neighborhood. It connects me to my place. It connects me to my family in ways that getting in the car just just can't. Right? And so we had to take a step back at some point. And we in 2014 started a campaign called the pedestrian walkability campaign where we successfully lobbied to put a big bond package on the Pima County bond that would go that would be just dedicated funding for pedestrian improvement projects and our whole slogan was everybody's a pedestrian right if you can't get behind biking at least you can identify with walking but we even found that that was a little too abstract for people Because a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? I'm not a pedestrian. Even just walking out of my car to the grocery store does not mean I'm that person waiting at at Swan and Speedway to get across the intersection, right? And so even taking more steps back, we're really looking at Cyclovia as that large-scale opportunity to just convince people by whatever it takes, get them to this event. We move the event around to different parts of town. We load it with all kinds of local uh, entertainers. We use all kinds of different artists or, and designers who I think have all presented at this event before to make the event as accessible as possible. We, do everything in in at least Spanish and English. One year we had a whole bunch of flyers translated into languages that um, were widely spoken by a large refugee population where the event went. You don't have to have a bike. We try to de-emphasize the bicycle altogether. And what we do is if we we can just get people to this event, we find that instinct takes over and that primitive thing kicks in in our brains where we're like, oh yeah, that's right. I like people, <laughs> I'm smiling, I'm laughing, I'm seeing them. Like you see, you see everybody like dropping their bikes or whatever they're there on and just engaging in spontaneous play and they help each other out. And the only people who hate the event that day are the people in cars. They hate that event, right? It's totally a a barrier to them. But what we're—it's like it's like we started out here, and we just keep taking these steps back to find that oh yeah, what we really need to do is just remind people that we want to be a part of a tribe, we want to be a part of a community. And then from there, Living Streets Alliance's work is really just to build on that and just keep reminding people to check in with that that primitive instinct. So I think that's all I have. All right.
0: You are listening to Remarks Made at a November 2017 event entitled Tucson Makers presented by AIGA Arizona on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. That was Kylie Walzak, who is the lead program manager of Living Streets Alliance and the Ciclovía Tucson coordinator. Up next... KXCI Executive Director and Event MC Kathy Rivers will introduce photographer Jade Beale.
2: Jade Beal is a proud mother and a Tucson, Arizona-based, world-renowned photographer specializing in truthful images of women to inspire feeling irreplaceably beautiful as a counterbalance to the airbrushed, photoshopped imagery that dominates mainstream media. Her recent work, A Beautiful Body Project, has touched hundreds of thousands of women's lives and has garnered global attention from media outlets including the BBC, the Huffington Post, and beyond. Let's welcome Jade Beale.
5: I'm not really a photographer. I actually don't think I'm that great of a photographer and I suffer a lot of depression from that because I'm not a great photographer. I just got voted Tucson's best photographer and I literally want to be like, it's not true really. But what I've started to embody, and I have for the last four years, is that I'm not really a photographer. I'm an empath to suffering, to people who have known sexual abuse, to people who have hated their bodies most of their lives, to people who have witnessed grief and don't know what to do. I'm an empath that has understood such deep disgust and hatred for one's own self that everything now is okay. And women come to me, mostly cisgender women, mostly mothers, because they want to be seen and understood with that clean slate of understanding each other. A lot of people ask me, why are you so focused on insisting everybody is so beautiful? Isn't there more important things in life, like your inner beauty and what you do and your brains and... Well, of course, (laughs) but ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be beautiful because everyone told me, everyone noticed, oh, Jade, you went to Tucson over the summer and you gained some weight. I'm sorry. You'll lose it quick. I was so ingrained that my body shape determined my worth and my reflections from my culture, even though I was on the Escolta in Mexico y tienes que ser la más inteligente para poder estar la Escolta. And still, I only thought that my body mattered for my worth. And I was in this little village that you have to get to by boat. There's no electricity and there's no cars, but I still understood the teen magazine story that pimple-free, thin, white women were the only way to go. And that story stuck with me, even though I had no TV. So I got pregnant and I had this beautiful belly and I gained more weight than I was supposed to. I became, I already had had many eating disorders. I'd already had body image issues since I was 10 years old. I remember sitting on the toilet and seeing the rolls and just feeling so disgusting and that was the word I associated. So I gave birth, I had all this extra body fat, and I wanted to be done with the suffering, I wanted to put an image out there that I had not airbrushed, that I did not look my best, that broke all those rules, and so there I did. I did not want to put that image online, it was so scary, the cellulite, all these things that we had been trained to judge and feel less than because of, put that image in and then it ended up going across the world, it was on the cover of Huffington Post for like weeks, next to Obama, naked body and Obama face. and. I had to own it. I had to own that cellulite and the dark circles and the pimple scars on my face and finally stop hiding the airbrushed reality that I had been trained to live in. Well, that photo really touched a lot of people. It went on the places I didn't even imagine, BBC and Cosmopolitan and all these places wanted to show this revolutionary photo of a woman who says she's beautiful with cellulite. <laughs> Everyone to know what the hell I was doing. And so other women wanted to be photographed and they would come to my studio and I would want to take these unphotoshopped images of mothers naked with their babies breastfeeding. And I soon found out that I love the dripping of a milk out of a nipple because i would never seen it because we labeled it gross because we pad it up and we put it away. And more and more women kept coming to me and I decided to make a book. And I started a project called a Beautiful Body Project. And I photographed over 100 mothers on my own time, sleep deprived with my own nursing nursing while taking photos with postpartum depression. But I knew it had to be done. And I made a book and I did a Kickstarter and it got great funding. One of the images, I did a screenshot right when I started this project about five, a a little under five years ago. You type in a beautiful body. My images are kind of sprinkled in the Google search, right? And I just did a Google, um, a Google search a few weeks ago, and it's just prrr, most of my images, because we choose to see what we want to see. And when people type in a beautiful body, they see diversity. They see women of all different ages and different backgrounds of suffering and joy. So I did this book, and what was really cool was that I learned that the core of this body image stuff that i'd had most of my life this wanting to feel beautiful it it was so much more of course deep than just trying to come to terms with these roles and looking in the mirror and and feeling empowered, it was, it was so much deeper and connected to people all over the world. I started getting to travel with my partner. We went and met Syrian refugees in Greece and we were able to talk to them. They too want to feel seen and heard and loved just like I did as a little girl in Mexico thinking that I wasn't good enough. And then I learned from other communities. Uh, part of this cloth diapering, Black Lives Matter, asked me to come and do photos. And we did all these beautiful photos of Black Lives Matters with these beautiful cloth diapers, because they too, of course, want to be seen, loved, and feel worthy. And then other people in Palestine, I got to go photograph them in the Dead Sea, because they want to feel seen, heard, and worthy. And then we went to the Zapatistas and Trekking in mud, and these people that are covered in masks and don't want anyone to photograph them. But after talking to them, they finally are like, Okay, okay, let's talk with the community. We'll let you take a photo because we too want to be seen, loved, and feel worthy. So, all these stories of interconnectedness and how easy it was to see that being beautiful is okay. And my thing is if we're beautiful on the inside, how can we not be beautiful on the outside? But we're all linked. by the same exact thread of wanting to feel seen, loved, and worthy. And I don't know about you, but I've spent so much time, it's still a struggle, to feel powerful in this body, to remember that when I wake up, it's an honor. Today is my dad's birthday, and he passed away years ago, and I have a photo of him after he took his last breath. and. I know it freaks a lot of people out, but I love it because I'm like laying on his body and his body was left, but his soul is gone. And this body that most of his life he labeled as fat and he always was on a diet. (laughs) And he always was like talking about he was going to lose weight. And he spent a lot of time not loving that body. I saw it and there was that body laying and the soul was gone, and it even sunk in further for me how this work is so important, how it's important used to have in fractions of seconds of standing before a mirror and going, "Wow, look at this! This incredible manifestation of molecules is dancing my soul, and that's phenomenal." even with this depression, even with the hardships, even with the joy, because soon, soon we too will dance out of our bodies and we'll return back to dust. So I encourage, I encourage, I encourage, especially what I know. I don't photograph a lot of men. I photograph a lot of cisgender women because that's what I understand as a personal woman, a uh, cisgender woman, because it's so important When we're 60 and we look back on a photo, I'm 38. I know I'm going to want to see and go, oh, girl, I just want to hold you. I want to tell you how precious you are. And the elders, too. I've started photographing elders. So many people in our culture tell us as elders, we need to make everything different. we got to look like we're 20. we got to Photoshop that stuff out. But guess what? Being an elder is a privilege. My dad should have lived a lot longer. It's a privilege and a beautiful thing. Take photos, take selfies. And you are beautiful.
2: Yay!
0: We'll have to leave it there. That was photographer Jade Beal speaking at a November 2017 event entitled Two Sun Makers presented by AIGA Arizona. Additional speakers today included Julie Ray, kathy rivers melanie mele martinez and kylie walczak this has been part one thank you for listening to 30 minutes on 91.3 kxci tucson you can find this and other recent episodes on the 30 minutes program page at kxci.org